Well, good morning, church. My name is Tim Power. I'm a pastor of modern worship and discipleship here at Salem. I'd ask for a moment, would you pray with me? Lord God, we come into your presence with thankful hearts, thankful that we can know you and that we can make you known. I pray that we would encounter you today, that we would encounter you in the many ways that we can encounter you. We can encounter you in the music that we sing. We can encounter you in the face and the eyes of the children that we just saw. We can encounter you in your word as we open it up. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and change us, Lord God. Change us more into the image of Jesus Christ so that we can change this world into a place that experiences and knows and spreads your love. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Wow, they're really going to town now. <laughs> well, again, I want to welcome you and thank you for worshiping with us today. I want to ask you a real quick question. I've been thinking about this a little bit. I want to give you a word, and I want you to think about what it conjures up. I want you to think of this word, justice. What does the word justice mean to you? What does the word justice mean to you? Another word I want you to think about, what does the word mercy mean to you? What does the word mercy mean to you? There's, there's a, uh, a prophet from the Old Testament. I really love the small book that we have of Amos. And Amos over and over again says that we should be people that do justice and love mercy. Say, do justice. Love mercy. Do justice. Love mercy. And I've been contemplating that because I think if we went around the room, if we said, what does justice look like? It probably would look very different to many of us. We would have different opinions of what that actually looks like worked out in our lives on the earth, right? Uh, now, I was recently watching a, a stand-up special on Netflix, uh, Patton Oswalt. I don't know. I, I mostly know him because he was the rat in Ratatouille. But he's actually a stand-up comedian, a pretty funny one. And he, he has this uh, uh, funny story he tells that, that I'm, I'm going to butcher, I'm sure. But he talks about his little girl, Alice. He's raising a girl, and at the time she was six years old. And uh, Alice has a best friend named May May. Now, Alice, Alice has a little bit shorter, uh, uh, kind of a bob, and she's got uh, straight hair. And May May has very long, curly, beautiful hair. Now, um, May May actually uh, missed her friend Alice on a day that they weren't together at school. And so she drew a picture, and she uh, wanted to send the picture to her friend Alice. And so she did. She had her mom mail it, and it got to their house, and she opened it up and, and brought it to Alice, and Alice looked at it, and the first thing she does is burst into tears. Burst into tears. And she's just going, ah! And, and so Pat Oswald uh, says, well, why, why are you crying? And she said, May May made her hair longer than my hair. To which... Because he's a terrible father, he says, 
but her hair is longer than yours. She goes, ah! and she ran to her room, and, and Baton Oswald's wife said, no, you just, you have to let her just get through these emotions, let her just have her time in her space and get through this. And uh, about 20 minutes of, of her being in her room, she comes out, and she had painted a picture. And she brings it up to Patton Oswald and hands it, and, sh- and it's a picture of her and May May. And in the picture, Alice has long, beautiful, curly hair, and May May is bald. And she says, Mommy, can you send this to May May? Now, I thought that was really funny. I've got boys at my house, and boys handle conflict a little bit differently than girls. But, you know, one thing I was thinking about when, when I heard that story was that she thought that that was justice. She felt wronged, and she felt like this is how I get justice. This is how I get back. And I'll bet nobody had to sit that girl down and teach her retribution. I've never had to sit my kids down and teach them retribution. I've never had to sit my kids down and teach them contempt, but somehow they learned it. These are things that are kind of inborn in us. These ideas of our sense of justice, which tends to be a little bit skewed. Our sense of justice tends to be messed up. We're in this sermon series called Messed Up, and we're taking a look at the life of David. The life of David, because he is one of the most important characters in the Old Testament. He was many things. He was a shepherd like we talked about last week. He was a warrior. He was a king. And he was a poet. He was all those things. But, you know, underneath it all, he was a messed up guy. And, and, and we're not going to end there, though, because the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. In fact, his own name is Beloved. He's beloved, okay? So he is beloved. He's a man after God, God's own heart. But he's messed up, and he makes a lot of mistakes. And I'm happy about that. Because I make a lot of mistakes. And God can still use me. And God can still use you no matter how messed up you are. Isn't that good news? It is good news. And so what we want to talk about today is David as a messed up warrior. Now last week we looked at his life and and we talked about how he's a shepherd. And how that prepared him to be the man that God called him to be. We We last... Uh, talked about David in the story of his being anointed. He wasn't even called in when the prophet Samuel came and said, one of Jesse's sons is going to be anointed to be king. They didn't even call him in because he was the runt of the litter. But after he was anointed, David didn't go to the palace and become king right away. In fact, he went back out and became a shepherd again. And and what I want to talk a little bit about in David's life today, is how David, as a warrior, he became one of the most celebrated warriors of Israel, actually. And as a warrior, I think it's fascinating that he was a warrior after God's own heart. And that his values as a warrior reflected the values of the kingdom of God. Now, that distinction is really important because the kingdom of God has different values than our world. 
The kingdom of God has very different values in our world. See, theologians have come to call this distinction the upside-down kingdom. The upside-down kingdom. And you encounter this idea most clearly in the teachings of Jesus. You'll remember Jesus talks a lot about how the first will be last, and the last will be first in the kingdom of Jesus, right? The first will be last, the last will be first. In a culture that celebrated people who become rich, as, as that's God's stamp of approval, God is blessing you, Jesus instead said, no, 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 blessed are the poor. That was revolutionary for that time. That was revolutionary. God blessing the poor. And though Jesus called himself the king of this new kingdom, we find Jesus on his knees cleaning the feet of his own disciples. Can you see how this is an upside-down kingdom? Totally different than anything that came before it. And in the end, Jesus chose to save you and me, all of us, from sin and death Not by leading an army like General Patton, even though that's what his disciples would have wished for. But instead, he conquered evil by surrendering his own body upon a cross so that we would not have to die that death. And that when he was raised to life, we could be raised up again in new life alongside Jesus Christ. That is the upside-down kingdom, and things work differently in the kingdom of God. And today we're going to see how the kingdom of God redefines, redefines what a warrior is, and how the kingdom of God redefines what victory looks like, and what justice looks like. Now I want to walk down the timeline of David's life a little bit. Where we last saw him, he was taking care of sheep. As I said last week, this was not a weak man's profession. We see a lot of uh, pretty pictures and paintings of gentle guys out there standing with the sheep. It was actually a very dangerous profession. We find in the scriptures that, that David had to fight a bear and had to fight and kill a lion while protecting his father's sheep. That was great preparation because soon David would find himself toe-to-toe with one of the greatest warriors of the Philistine army, a giant named Goliath. Now David doesn't use a broadsword to take down Goliath. Instead, he uses several small stones and a sling. See, this is, again, the upside-down kingdom of God, using the weak thing to defeat what we think of as strong. Now, after this, after defeating the giant, he goes on to lead the Israelite army into many, many more battles, which is great. He becomes a great warrior, one of the most celebrated in all of Israel, which is awesome for David, except that it makes somebody important very jealous. And that's King Saul. That is the current king of Israel. Now, remember, David was anointed to be the next king, but there is a king on the throne right now, and that is Saul. Now, at first, Saul and David fight side by side. People even start writing songs about them. They say that Saul slays his thousands, but that David slays his tens of thousands. Can you see a problem starting to develop? Saul is not happy about this. In fact, he starts to try to take David's life. And after several attempts on David's life, David flees and goes with his own small army into the wilderness in En Gedi. And so Saul chases after David with the armies of Israel, and they come to a cave. Now Saul goes into this cave, I'll be as genteel as possible, to relieve himself. 
he goes into this cave while he's chasing after David, and he doesn't know that David and his men are actually already inside the cave. But Saul goes in. We're told that David actually sneaks up behind Saul. He had an opportunity there, didn't he? He had an opportunity. It says that he gets close enough to cut off a part of his cloak, which means that he had an opportunity where he could have killed Saul, but he didn't. I want you to, I want you to um, follow along with me as I read this passage, passage of Scripture. This is from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24. It says, David's soldier said to him, This day the Lord spoke when he promised you, I'll hand your enemy over to you, and you can do to him whatever you think best. For David snuck up and cut off a corner of Saul's robe, but immediately David felt horrible that he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. The Lord forbid, he told his men, that I should do something like that to my master. The, Lord anoint, the Lord's anointed. Or lift my hand against him because he's the Lord's anointed. So David felt, f- held his soldiers in check by what he said. And he wouldn't allow them to attack Saul. Saul then left the cave and went on his way. Then David also went out of the cave and yelled after Saul, My master, the king. Saul looked back and David bowed low out of respect. Nose to the ground. David said to Saul, why do you listen when people say David wants to ruin you? Look, today your own eyes have seen that the Lord handed you over to me in the cave, but I refused to kill you. I spared you because, I spared you saying, I won't lift a hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. Look here, my protector. See the corner of your robe in my hand? I cut off the corner of your robe but didn't kill you. So, so know now that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I haven't wronged you, but you are hunting me down, trying to kill me. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord take vengeance on you for, on you for me. But I won't lift a hand against you. As the old proverb says, evil deeds come from evildoers. But I won't lift a hand against you. As soon as David finished saying all this to Saul, Saul said, David, my son, is that your voice? Then he broke down in tears, telling David, You are more righteous than I am because you have treated me generously, but I have treated you terribly. Today you have told me the good you have done for me, how the Lord handed me over to you, but how you didn't kill me. When someone finds an enemy, do they send them away in peace? May the Lord repay you with good for what you have done to me today. This is a pretty amazing story. This is a pretty amazing story of how this upside-down kingdom of God changes the value of a warrior. The values of a warrior. I think the key word to this whole story would be this, mercy. Mercy. I want to give you a definition of mercy. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Now, the mercy David shows is shocking to everybody else in the story especially to his own men. These guys are seasoned warriors, and warriors are trained to defeat their enemies, right? Warriors are trained to win. But David's response is incredible. Lord forbid, he told his men, that I should do something like that to my master, the Lord's anointed. Get that word. Anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. In this passage, he says anointed three times. Anointed. I want to talk about that word. In the Old Testament, there were two groups of people who were anointed. These two groups of people were anointed and they were important because they reflected God. These were the kings and the priests. 
The kings and the priests were the anointed. Now here's why that's important. They both reflected God. What the priests did was they communicated the word of God. The, the priests communicated and the kings enacted the will of God. So what David is saying is, that th- is this. I will not harm someone who carries the image of God. I will not harm someone who carries the image of God. Now that is especially profound when you think back to Genesis. When you think back to the very beginning of Genesis in Genesis 1. In verse 26 through 28 it says this. Then God said, let us make humanity in our image. To resemble us so that they can take charge of the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the livestock and all the earth and all the crawling things on the earth. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, God created them. Male and female, God created them. See, David's mercy for Saul had everything to do with who Saul was to God. Do you get that? Who Saul was to God. Theologians call this concept of us reflecting the image of God the imago Dei, or the image of God. I want you to turn to somebody and say, you look like God. That was a struggle for some of you. That's this idea of the imago Dei, that we are created in the likeness of God. Now here's the deal. That should change how you look at people. That should change how you see people. They are not just a person. They are a child of God who reflects the image of God. Doesn't that change things a little bit? It changes things when you look at a person, and they're not just a person. That's God's child you're talking to. I remember uh, one time when me and my brothers were being terrible, which was most of the time, um, and my dad said something to me that, that shocked me. I, we, were, we were, you know, probably talking disrespectfully to my mom, and my dad said, don't you talk to my wife like that. What? He said, don't you talk to my wife like that. And I had never thought about that. I had never thought that my mom meant something special to my dad. And that he was expecting me to treat her differently, not, not just because she was my mom, because that's my wife. Don't talk to my wife like that. It kind of had a way of shifting my thinking in how I looked at that. How do you look at the people around you? Are they just people? Maybe this is a better question. How do you look at the people who are hard for you, that are difficult in your life? How do you look at those people? I read a, a book a couple years ago by Mitch Album, and it was a book called Speaking of Faith. And it's a series of conversations he has with um, a rabbi, and then also uh, an uh, inner city pastor in Detroit. And the pastor um, is, is, uh, presides over a church in the inner city, and mostly he runs a homeless ministry in, in downtown Detroit. Now, um, Mitch spends a lot of time with him and um, just sees how he treats the people that come in and, and need his help and need his assistance with such dignity. And sometimes these folks... Um, are, are, are a little bit trying. Sometimes the folks that, that come in and need help steal from him. Sometimes they, they create situations that could make somebody feel unsafe. And uh, one time, uh, Mitch is, is there talking to this pastor in, in downtown Detroit, and, and they're, they're standing, and they're, um, they're, they're overlooking the gym floor 
which is where they allow people to sleep, and they've got cots set up. And uh, uh, Mitch asked, asked this pastor, well, I don't understand. You know, some of these guys, they're real rough. Uh, some of them yell at you. Some of them try to steal from you. Some of them just make your life sometimes uh, very difficult. H- how do you keep serving these people? And, and the pastor said this. He said, you know what I do is I try to look over them every night as I see these men going to sleep. And I try to think about the fact that sometime these people were a child, a baby. And I try to think about the day that they were born. And I try to think about the fact that they were somebody that, God lo- that, that was loved by their parents so much. That they were the hope for their mom. That they were the hope of the future for their dad. And that changes how I treat people. That changes how I treat people. And I want this to be a point that you can take away, with, away from today's sermon. Mercy wins when my other becomes my brother. Mercy wins when my other becomes my brother. Now, we are living in a time when mercy is pretty hard to come by. We're living in a time, uh, just, just like in the time of David, winning sometimes in our world looks like destroying our enemies, right? And more and more, mercy seems like a quaint idea from a different time. If you know what these people were like, you wouldn't show them mercy. If you knew what these people had done, you wouldn't show them mercy. Quick question, who is the other in your life? Think about that for a second. Who is the other in your life? Who's hurt you? Who is hurting you currently? Who's hurt somebody you love? Who has broken your trust? Is there somebody who you would love to see fail? Is there somebody you'd love to see them fall flat on their face? Is there somebody you disagree with politically? Nobody? only one. There's a pretty good chance some of those faces that flashed up in front of your mind's eye, those are an other for you. And I know this is hard. Maybe this conflicts with your sense of justice. Your sense of people getting what they deserve. But you notice what, what what uh, David said was that he was trusting God with justice. He trusted God with justice. Can you trust God with justice and love mercy? Mercy wins when my other becomes my brother. I know that this is a hard thing to hear and it's probably difficult and, and it definitely goes against our inborn sense of what justice looks like. Sometimes justice looks like me getting even. Me getting even. That person getting what they deserve. But you know what? We're people of God. We're followers of Jesus Christ. We live in an upside down kingdom. That's how we operate. Those are our values. They look different from the values of the world. And don't be surprised when people in the world tell you that's crazy. That might be crazy. But that's the love of Jesus Christ, and it can change everything. It can change everything. 
Um, in the 1990s in, in uh, South Africa, there was um, uh, a lot of violence surrounding apartheid. A lot of terrible things were done. Terrible, terrible things were done. Um, and uh, in, in trying to get the country kind of back in order, they had um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Some amazing things came out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I want to share one story. There was a woman um, who, uh, uh, a black African woman, her, her husband and her son were killed by police. A police officer, one particular police officer named uh, Mr. Van de Boek, had come into her house, had her husband taken outside and shot, and his body set on fire. Her son was standing in her house. He sh- the officer shot him directly in front of her and had his body burned as well. Now, this police officer was arrested. He was going to be sentenced to death. This woman was able to come before him in court And she was asked, do you think that he should be put to death? And she said, no, I think he should go to prison. I think he should spend the rest of his life in prison. But she requested three things of the judge. And I want to share this with you. I think this is really powerful. She said, I want three things. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. My husband and my son were my only family. Now listen to this. I want secondly that Mr. Vandebuck becomes my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have. And finally, I would like Mr. Vandebuck to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This is also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask that someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so that I can take Mr. Vandebuck in my arms, embrace him, and let him know he is truly forgiven. See, mercy wins when my other becomes my brother. See, in the kingdom of God, justice looks different. In the kingdom of God, the victorious king looks like a broken man on a cross. And from that kind of victory springs forth resurrection life. See, that kind of love could change your life. That kind of love could change your family and your home. That kind of love could change this church. That kind of love could change this world. Would you pray with me? Lord God, have mercy on us. We are sinners, Lord God. And oftentimes we're driven by this messed up sense of justice that tells us that vengeance is ours. That getting even is what justice looks like. But Lord... You're a God of mercy. You've poured out mercy on us. I pray that you would make us a people 
that don't live by the values of this world, but live by kingdom values, which may look crazy to the people around us, but it's good. It's glorious. It's a beautiful thing to live by your mercy in our lives, Lord God. I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, so that we could see the people around us, even the people, especially the people that we see as our other, as our brothers. We call upon your name, Lord God. I know that I can't do this on my own. So we call upon your Holy Spirit to change our hearts and to change our eyes. Give us your eyes for the people around us. Let us see them as your children in need of your mercy. Let us be a merciful people, Lord God. Let us be a people who seek your justice and your mercy. We're asking for your Holy Spirit to do a work in us that we cannot do for ourselves, God. Change our hearts, Lord God, so that this amazing, extravagant, crazy love could spring up from the inside of us as well and change our families, change our church, and change this world. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.